Hey, unfuckers. As you know, the team is currently on vacation, but through the magic of pre-recording, we made sure to keep the feed active and alive. And today we have a very, very special treat. You've all come to know and adore our little trio of characters on the show, two incognito, one real-life person in the world. I am, of course, your basic white guy, Miami Vice, Billy Joel, and ketchup-loving host, Max, responsible for the content of the show. Behind the glass, we have the inimitable engineer and sound design maestro, Manny Faces, and the great and powerful 99 responsible for literally every detail that helps us connect with the unfucking audience. So today, we wanted to introduce you to the fourth member of our little troupe, the unsung hero who may or may not wear a cape, I don't actually know. Though we mention his name and sing his praises at the conclusion of every single show, he's remained somewhat of a mystery until now. As we've done during breaks in the past where we just kind of sit around the proverbial campfire and break the fourth wall to talk about how the show comes together, our crew thought it was important to bring this person out in front of the curtain. Unfuckers, it is my sincere pleasure to introduce you to the musical genius behind so many of our audio features, the one, the only, Tom fucking McGovern. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Uh, I'm, I'm very close to changing my legal name to fucking, so to hear you say it sounds good. It feels good. We are, we are prescient in, yeah. in all ways, so... Tom, thank you so much for being here, man. It's so great to finally connect with you in front of our audience. You and I have spoken, obviously, many times. Right. But to just to bring you out to the audience so everybody can kind of hear the, the magician behind the music, it's just great to have you. I, I am being sincere when I say that writing the little stings and the themes for this show, it, I look forward to working on this stuff with you guys more than I do than any other commission a steady commission that I've worked on other podcast shows, whatever. There's just something very fun about working with the team. So I feel lucky to to be on here for real. That's very kind of you to say. Um, yeah. Before we get into any of the, the stuff that we've done together and uh, kind of refresh and reintroduce some of the features to, to the audience, I was hoping you could actually fill us in a little bit on your background and just kind of take us back to the roots of your performance career. Because, you know, when I discovered you, it was just Google. I, I was Googling super talented, really handsome, nice, warm, wonderful guy who could perform. <laughs> and you came up. No, I literally, I, so I, I was Googling for something that I, I couldn't really find, which was somebody that could do really great parody work mm -hmm. in a musical genre that was just, that was just a little bit different. And I came across your site and you had a few things on there where I was like, wow, this is, this is a little different. This, this guy might be a cut above. And I took a flyer. I emailed through the website. Actually, our first interaction was, I was like filling out your form. And yeah. I'm trying to explain on this form. So I have this show and it's called Unfucking the Republic. Wait, don't go. I promise right. this is going to be okay. Right. And try to explain how like this theme song, whatever. And you and I got in touch. You took the work in. And we're going to talk a little bit about that because that's the one that we play almost every single uh, intro to the show and turn this thing around. And I played it for the team and they were like, holy fuck, are you kidding me? Uh, they're like, where did you find? And this became like, where did you find this guy? And I was like, 
on the internet. I went to the Googles and I put it in and he just appeared and here it is. The magic Google machine. The magic Google machine. So beyond that interaction and then everything we've come to do, you obviously have probably a very sordid history, but you have a history of performing. We've seen a lot of the clips that you've done on YouTube. and, and But take us back to the beginning of, of your musical, but also acting journey and tell us a little bit about your history. I'd love to. I grew up in central New Jersey, if you believe. Okay. Well, unfuckers, a, this has been Unfucking the Republic. Thank, Thank you so much for tuning in. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, that's all. <laughs> that's, that's my time. I said the, uh, the NJ word. Mm. Um, yeah, I grew up in Central Jersey, and I grew up in a very, very small town where there, there really wasn't much to do. There's like not even a, a traffic light in my town. And I was lucky to grow up with a close circle of six or seven guys, and we were all falling in love with the same kind of music around the same time. We're all within two, three years of each other. And one of our friends, his name is Nick. He had a basement. And in Nick's basement, there was a guitar, a bass, a keyboard, a PA, a drum kit. And his parents were cool with us going to his house nearly every weekend, almost every day after school, and just messing around from like seventh grade through high school graduation when we all split and went our separate ways. Rather than playing sports, or uh, I got into musicals in high school a little bit, but for the most part, we would spend our free time going to Nick's, basically just playing Blink-182 covers, playing, um, you know, we were super into pop punk, super into metal, super into, you know, My Chemical Romance, Fallout Boy, stuff like that. And we would basically teach ourselves all of these instruments. And I was really lucky that I think my musical foundation, I consider myself a multi-instrumentalist now, it started in Nick's basement. And it's just because there were naturally some of us that were better at other instruments than others. And we would say like, hey, how do you play that fill? How do you play that riff on guitar? That's crazy. What is that? And for, you know, five, six, seven years, that's kind of how it it came to be a part of my life. And then I went to school. I started as a journalism major. I fell in love with theater in high school, but my guidance counselor said that I would never make it as an actor. So I should go for something more stable like print journalism. (laughs) <laughs> which is, uh, in retrospect, Mrs. Bose, that was a swing and a miss on, on her behalf. You got to love those supportive guidance counselors that uh, talk you out of your, your aspirations. Yeah, when you're the, young. those guidance counselors that guide us towards, you know, uh, forced career paths. Luckily, my parents are cool as hell. And after three semesters in journalism, I literally remember there was a moment where I was sitting on my bed, I was reading a journalism textbook, and I was like, it was like a come to Jesus moment. I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. This is not what I want to do. I'm wasting my time. And I called my parents the next day and I said, hey, I think I'm going to switch to acting. This is like what I've wanted to do since I was 15. And they were literally like, yes, do it. Stop wasting time. That's we support awesome. you. Yeah, I was really lucky. So graduated with an acting degree. Coming out of school, I didn't really, I didn't book any shows right away, but I found this dueling piano bar chain called Howl at the Moon. There's a number of them all over the country. And I, by chance, walked into this bar in Philadelphia. I went to Temple in Philly. I walked into this bar in downtown Philly. I saw two pianos on stage and a full band that kind of looked like Nick's Basement in a way. And I saw them playing cover songs. They're taking song requests from the crowd. And I told my buddy that I came with, I said, I want to do that. I want to get paid to do this. And literally the next day, I applied online. At that point, I hadn't been playing piano consistently in, in years. But they're like, we can bring you in for an audition. You need to learn three. You need to know three songs. We'll let you sit in with the band, see how it goes. And so I learned three songs, basic piano chord songs. I think one was like Pompeii by Bastille. (laughs) 
I learned like Wagon Wheel and uh, maybe something else, an Elton John song maybe. And I got the job and they took me on as a trainee later that week. And uh, then I basically for the next two years in Philly worked at this bar four nights a week. And that is really when I took music. It was my first professional job in music, playing loud music, getting paid to spend hours a night on all of these garage band instruments is how I like to, is what I like Are to call Are you telling me you don't have any formal musical training? I took piano lessons fifth and sixth grade, and then I stopped. I begged my mom to let me stop because it wasn't, it wasn't cool at the time. Uh, the rest is self-taught. Yeah. You've got to be kidding me. No. Yeah. I mean, I watched so much YouTube when I really started to get into it. I picked everything kind of back up in college. And again, like my technique is trash. If there's any musicians listening that, that would watch me play, it's not good. But it got to a point where I was like, it doesn't really matter if you know all the scales and all different keys, if you are able to communicate, like writing a lot of the songs for this podcast if you're able to communicate and capture an energy, it doesn't matter if you know what, you know, the time signature is or what key you're in. If you know how to capture the, the vibe, then that's, that's what matters in, in most contexts, at least in my musical world. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. Right. So say you, you know, it's, so what's interesting to me about w when speaking with an artist like you, kind of the same thing that makes our engineer Manny special is that you, you don't really realize kind of what he's doing to enhance and improve the show. So like it's a hallmark of a great audio engineer to deliver a product that sounds seamless and unobtrusive while helping to support and manufacture the feeling that the script intends, you know, what I'm trying to evoke when I'm putting the script together. And I feel kind of the same way about your work. It's, it's while some of it is purposely over the top, Right. And it's because it, it is, you know, it's a lot of it is parody and it's it's supposed to be that way. It's so professional and so top notch that I'm not sure that people understand how layered it is and how remarkable it is. And you're not doing anything to help this case along by saying, well, you know, I just sort of <laughs> my technique is shit and nobody would, you know. And I'm not real. fishing. I promise. I promise I'm not fishing for compliments. But Thank you for saying that. And I don't, I don't mean to cut you off, but that's very kind to say. Well, for people that don't understand, like, let's talk about the main theme of the show. Here's how it started. And Manny, if you can, if you could just play uh, a little clip of it. I know everybody's heard it a thousand times, but just play a few seconds of the introduction. This is the story of a political pundit Who looked at the world around him and just said fuck it Gives the middle finger to authority and says kiss my ass But instead of a revolution he started a podcast So this was the first thing that you and I worked on When I had submitted to that form through your website And all I said to you was Here are the lyrics Think Tenacious D and the response that I got from Tom was, I love Tenacious D. I've yeah. been waiting for this my whole career. Awesome. <laughs> Be back at you. And I got this back like, and, and this is a slippery slope because when I tell everybody how fast you work, it might actually create problems for you in the future <laughs> because it builds an ex it, like an unrealistic expectation. But like 24 hours later, I got back that theme. Can you just walk us a bit through your process from getting 
lyrics from a madman like me and saying, hey, can you make it sound like Tenacious D, this groundbreaking, you know, comedic group that has been working for 20 years? Right. Take me through the process of getting that and then turning this around in such a short period of time. Yeah. I mean, I I was so excited to get that email from you because at that point I had been, since quarantine, like the first shutdown, March 2020, I turned to doing exactly this, creating short form, fun, snappy little songs from my bedroom. Just because I worked in New York City for five years as a live dueling piano player, cover band musician. And so I turned to this and it it was uncommon in the year. I don't, I'm not, when was that first email? When, when did we first talk? Do you remember? That would have been in the beginning of 2021. Yeah, great. So I was doing it for about a year at that point and no one had approached me and said, I need a song in the style of Tenacious D. And musical comedy is what I want to do with my career. I'm in a musical comedy band now. Tenacious D have been my heroes since I was in high school. Tenacious D, Fly to the Concords, The Lonely Island, all of those guys. And so that's one of my favorite genres to write in. And then you did half the work for me by providing me, and this is no bullshit, you're a great lyricist. Like your lyrics mm. come delivered, ready to print. and Again, I've worked with some other people writing these jingles that have written me lyrics that simply aren't good. They don't flow well. And the lyrics that you send me consistently, I can hear the song as I'm reading them because they're just laid out in a way that work like a song. And so when you sent this to me, you said, Tenacious D, I said, I'll take a swing. This is going to be a blast. He sounds like a cool dude. Let's give it a shot. And luckily, I happened to get close on, on one of the first tries. But I really, you know, I'll, in terms of process, just to keep it brief, if you say Tenacious D, I'll go and I'll listen through the top three most popular Tenacious D songs, and I'll listen arrangement-wise uh, to each of those songs and, and listen to the things that they're doing and the choices that they're making musically. And then based on the lyrics that you provide, I'll just kind of settle on a groove that lives in the world, and I'll settle, I'll choose the instruments that I think kind of live in the Tenacious D zone, which are like electric guitar, rock drums, bass, acoustic guitar, that kind of thing. And then, you know, I get to use the, the theatricality of Jack Black's kind of <laughs> energy. And then it just kind of, it just kind of falls together. You know, I just kind of take a swing and, and hope you like it. So I'm a terrible interviewer and I, and I want to come back to a little bit of your background. But while we're talking about process and we're talking about actually interpreting what somebody else is giving you and turning it around, I guess what surprised and continues to surprise me the most when you and I work together is how layered the pieces are. My expectation, to be honest, in the beginning was sending you something and maybe getting back a guitar track with a few layered vocal tracks and it would come together. It would be kitschy, campy, fine. What you sent back instead was a fully orchestrated something that sounded like somebody had been in the studio for weeks and weeks and weeks putting this thing together. And it was just, it was like 24, 36 hours later. And it's not just drum tracks and, you know, like ripping off, oh, I'm going to take this basic drum track and I'm going to, you know, find this guitar theme that I can rip in here for maybe a loop or something like that. You're performing and playing a fully conceived song you're putting those drum fills in deliberately. You're playing the bass, I presume. I don't know if you're doing that with a real bass or on a keyboard, 
there's orchestration, there's fucking horns and strings flying. I mean, it's like, <laughs> what, how are you, are you really doing every single one of those or do you have to pull people in to support you? It depends on what the arrangement calls for. If it's, I do everything myself, but instrumentally, if it's something orchestral, like a horn or a string, I simply don't have the ability to do that. So I use I use plugins, or they're called VSTs, virtual instruments, basically, that emulate the sounds of those instruments. So I, I do have a keyboard, I have a MIDI keyboard, and I will arrange those parts, and I'll play them on the keyboard, but then, you know, in the production, I edit them to make them sound as realistic as I can. There, it's really like an 80-20 split, unless you have a real treated studio and a real string player and horns, you're only going to make it sound so good. And I think any producers that might be listening will agree, horns are near impossible to make sound authentic or legitimate without real horns. And so if it's a guitar, bass, electric or acoustic, vocals, piano, synth, I'm playing all of that. Amazing. Drums, I generally program as well. There's a couple of really great sounding virtual instruments. But I do, just like you said, like if there's a specific drum fill that needs to fit the arrangement, I will manually program all of those hits, but I'm not actually playing the physical drums because I live in a 180 square foot studio <laughs> apartment. <laughs> what, uh, so what do you record in, by the way? I record in Logic and okay. uh, I've tried Pro Tools, but I've used Logic for so many years that it's like, why start from zero if I know how to make all my moves there? You know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's remarkable. How many instruments do you actually play proficiently in in your estimation proficiently like i i could hold my own on a cover gig guitar piano bass drums if i needed to play ukulele for some reason live i could but uh yeah guitar piano bass drums i'd say are like the core four that like basically if it's a pop rock vibe i can hold my own you you didn't mention the obvious instrument which is your voice you right. received no formal training in voice either? No, I, I went to school for acting, so I, voice lessons weren't included. I wasn't a musical theater major, but I did sing in, I sang in acapella groups all four years, which in retrospect feels whack. But at the time, it was, it was a cool thing to do in college, I think. Uh, you're, talking to, uh, you're talking to a group of people, at least on our side and also on my home front, we are very big Ben Folds fans. Of course. Ben Folds has brought... I think acapella into the respectable forefront. Uh, actually, my bride knows a guy named Deke Sharon, who I think was really responsible for professionalizing the acapella. And I think we're even worked with Ben Folds and what was an underappreciated art that is now sort of memed a little bit because of the movies or yeah, what have you. Pitch perfect and stuff. Pitch perfect, right. right. But I mean, if we're, if we're being honest, that first pitch perfect was. An outstanding film. Solid so movie. There you go. Really yeah. good movie, honestly. There you go. Yeah. Uh, but your voice. So again, we have some other examples of things that we've worked on together. You're not just performing them at different octaves or, you know, using some sort of artificial modulation uh, to make your voice character sound different. You're also harmonizing. And did that come from the acapella experience and, and working in, in that type of group where you're doing four-part harmonies and what have you? That definitely helps, but I, I have been messing around with recording and stacking harmonies and stuff like that since high school as well. I used to just mess around on my, my family's computer at the time and just make little crappy scratch tracks just because 
there's something magical to this day. I've, and I've been doing it for a while now. There's something magical about getting an idea and physically seeing and hearing it come together. And I still get excited to start with a voice memo and lay in the harmonies and hear everything together and then get specific about the production. It's, it has not lost its luster yet for me. And uh, I'd say the acapella stuff definitely helped me expand what I thought was possible. But I, I've kind of been doing the recording stuff for a while now. So do you talk to the guys from uh, Nick's Basement? Uh, I, I do, actually. Yeah, we're on a Discord together. They play video games pretty regularly. We, we all game on PC. I have been notoriously bad about getting online to play recently. But I'm lucky to say I still talk to all those guys. We're going to see the Chili Peppers in D.C. in September together. That's very cool. Do you perform with any of them? Have you stay, have have any of them stayed up or did any of them walk the same uh, journey as you and get into the business? I don't want to answer falsely, but I don't think anyone is still playing actively anymore. Uh, there's this one guy, Johnny Costa, who is an incredibly talented songwriter that still plays some music in Philly, but no one is is like gigging live actively. Okay, so... Let's go back to a little piece of the story of the building of Tom McGovern. Mm -hmm. There's a young person with no formal training who's just been hanging around with his friends, making music, then getting that job, dueling pianos, and continuing to work in a live band environment where people are throwing, presumably, requests at you, songs at you. You've got to think fast on your feet and then perform these live. That's a whole other level of musicality. Was that hard for you to to get that fast? And is that the period when you really developed the muscle to be able to do this so efficiently? 100%. It was difficult at first. The first two months of that job were incredibly stressful, but it was it was equally motivating to get to that place because I was sharing the stage with absolute monsters, four mm. or five players that it seemed like a magic trick. Like no matter what people were coming up to request, they were able to whip it out, play the lead lines, do it justice, sing it properly. And we're talking across genres, across decades. So anything from like early 70s, late 60s rock to modern 2010s hip hop, they were able to take these songs and do it justice. And immediately I was like, I need to get my shit together. I want to be able to do this. And I do attribute that period of time, those two years, really to my ability to feel comfortable in different genres, which I think has now lent itself to being able to write these jingles and hit different stings in different genres and, and do them as best, uh, as much justice as I can. Because again, I, I did it live and kind of on the fly with these bands. And then later when I moved to New York, I started doing traditional dueling piano gigs, which are the same exact, same vibe, all requests, but it's just piano. But it's still like in a really eclectic genre pool. But having an, and I'm sorry to to lay on this this one point, because there are naturally talented people out there, and not everything requires formal training. But I have to imagine that a lot of the people that you were gigging with at the time did have formal training and and had come up. Maybe it was through music schools, or had even gone on and 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 gotten degrees in music. Were you a standout? in that you did not have that type of formal training? Or did you meet a, a lot of people along the way that sort of had the natural proclivity that you did? I've met a handful, uh, uh, but definitely limited to a handful of people. Most people that I shared the stage with went to Berkeley in Boston. And so, you know, their chops were 
out of control. There's this guy, Nate Hopkins, that has been a dueling piano player since he was 18. He's, he's 30 now. And he's just like one of those freaking natures that, that seemingly is able to play essentially anything at a, at a master level, sax, drums, keyboard, whatever, organ. There are a handful of people that had to bust their ass just to try to keep up. I consider myself one of those people and I still can't hold a candle to, to most of the players that I share the stage with, but it acts as a kind of like a catalyst, a motivator, because you don't want to get up there and shit the bed. You don't want to like make a fool of yourself. And so I, I literally- Yeah, most people wouldn't have tried out for the job, Tom. That's how they prevent themselves from looking like a fool is they're just like, okay, they do that. I don't. Yeah, I'll drink another Miller Lite and stay down here. That's, that's fine by me. I'll sing Don't Stop Leaving from the Floor. Uh yeah, I, I don't know. There was just something that was really, really addictive and rewarding about like learning a new song and drilling Bohemian Rhapsody for 10 hours in my room and then doing it live and having it work. Unbelievable. It, it's it's yeah, a cyclical reward system. Okay. So you you touched on, a, on an interesting kind of inflection point for an artist like you that is so, that th- I guess thrives on that sort of sensibility when you're in public and you're feeding off an audience and you're under pressure to perform with these other, you know, great players. There's that whole side of of you coming up as an artist in a, in a business, in an industry, and then COVID. So tell us about how freaked out you might have been or what the, what was kind of going on in your mind and in your in your career and was it a real holy fuck moment like oh my gosh the as an entertainer, the whole world just came out from underneath me. What am I going to do? Tell us about that moment when COVID hit, lockdown comes, and you are suddenly without an audience. What was that like for you? Yeah, I mean, that was it was terrifying for a lot of reasons. And the truth is, in retrospect, uh, it's hard to talk about the shutdown in like a positive way. But it was it was the great reset. Uh, I've heard it called that by a few different people. And that was very much what it was for me. I was freaking out in the sense that my only stable source of income for five years was live music. And now we're staring down the barrel of that potentially not coming back for years. Who knows how long at that point. But I'm grateful because I was living with my girlfriend at the time's family uh, down in Florida. I had flown down to spend a week with her, a quote, a week on oh March. Gosh. I think I flew down on the 14th of March. Okay. Oh my so gosh. shit hit the fan on like what, the 16th or 17th maybe? I flew down for a week because she had been on tour with Wicked the Musical. I hadn't seen her in a couple months. We were like, let's spend a week together. Let's take advantage of this pause. And then you can go back to New York next weekend, the weekend of the 20th, to play your gigs because I know you need the money. <laughs> That's what I told her. I was like, I can't afford to give this gig up. I, 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 need this, I need this cash. So when shutdown hit and I saw things weren't coming back, I was stuck in a house with very, very high achievers. My girlfriend at the time was 23. She was playing Elphaba on the national tour of Wicked. Her mom is a criminal defense attorney, the head of the Florida bar. Their attitude and my own parents' attitude has always been like, you need to figure it out. No matter what, you need to make this work. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are. And I really do think in retrospect, there were two types of people when the shutdown hit. There were people respectfully and rightfully so that kind of retreated inward and, and were like, let's just be comfortable and just sit this thing out and make sure that our, our emotional and mental well-being are okay. And then there were people that were like... Uh, Let's use this as an opportunity to pivot and see what we can find. And I think on the 17th or 18th, that's when I posted an Instagram video and I spent days thinking about this. I was like, what can I do with the resources that I have? What do I know that I can do to help A, make 
people's days a little better and B, make a little bit of money realistically. Only thing I landed on was writing short, funny little songs. That's the only thing that I knew that I could do at least marginally better than, than most people. And so I sent in and I made an Instagram post. I said, hey, we're stuck inside. Everyone's scared. If you give me 20 bucks, I'll write a 60 second song about <laughs> whatever you want. Doesn't matter. And I told my girlfriend at the time, I said, if I can make $200 over the next couple of weeks, I'll be happy. I'll consider this a win. I'll get to get better at producing. I'll get to have some fun and keep my brain occupied. The next day I had 76 orders. Oh my God. Insane, dude. Insane. And so literally for about four months from March, uh, April, May, June, July, every day I treated it like a nine to five. I would wake up, I'd have breakfast. I would write and record three songs and then I'd do it again. And I would like watch Love Island at night with my girlfriend's family. I'd watch somebody feed Phil or something. And I would just wake up and do it. And suddenly I wasn't panicking and I was sharpening a skill set that I had always wanted to sharpen in New York. But because of the incessant grind of the New York live music scene, I was feeling so creatively dry and frankly kind of depressed January 2020, February 2020. I was really out of touch with like, my creative output. This was a real opportunity. It was the universe saying like, take a step back, focus on what you want to focus on. And now I'm so grateful that this happened because if I listened to what, what I was making in March, 2020, April, 2020, compared to what I'm able to produce now, it was literally like a boot camp, And I'm, I'm really grateful for that. That's amazing. That's yeah. amazing. At what point in 2020 did your girlfriend's family look at her and say, what are we going to do about the crazy singing boy in our house? <laughs> Is he ever leaving? <laughs> I need to give a sincere shout out to the Suskauer family because they let me turn her literal, Talia's literal closet. There's a picture of me on my Instagram of me in a chair, door closed. She had like maybe a, a six by six closet that I used as a vocal booth because the clothes made the room nice and dead. They were totally cool with it. They let me literally scream rap songs about like whatever dogs about smelly roommates uh, without issue i am so grateful to them could it be songs like i don't know dem dick eating boys or i wasn't I, sure i wasn't sure if i was allowed to mention this but <laughs> dem dick eating boys can i give a little context really quick about what this is oh i think you're gonna need to okay great so i i received a dm from a dude and i use this in my live show actually too i talk about this uh, there's a dude that dm me on instagram and he said hey man uh, I'd like to pay you $20 to write a rap song about dem dick-eating boys. Take it in whichever direction you want. Thanks. And I said, hell fucking yeah, Jordan. I absolutely will. And I wrote it in literally, I think, two hours because I, it was so fun to have that level of freedom. Dem dick-eating boys going nom 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 In the kitchen making noise going nom 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 Om nom 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 if you don't eat dick, go home. If you do, we good. Eat dumb. And I gave it back to him. And it kind of popped off on Instagram. And then when live music came back in 2021 and I was playing at this bar, Haswell Greens in New York, people started requesting the song. And I started playing Dem Dick Eating Boys live. Okay? And now it's in my live show when I do Tom McGovern solo shows. It, I, I can't believe it. So I did watch your live show. Well, but not live. I watched it on YouTube. Right. And the, I think the part that cracked me up the most was then when you shared another Instagram of a woman saying something like, oh, hey, Tom, 
quick favor. Can you play Dem Dick Eaton Boys? Bye. Have a great day or something like that. It was yeah. just a, like the the cheeriest, most innocuous like Instagram with her requesting you playing that song. Yes. And I'm like, oh, this is great. This it, is great. It's so fun, man. I can't believe um, it. There's also, of course, I wonder what's in your butthole. Of course. I wonder what's inside your butthole. Yeah. Yep. Do you want to tell us a little bit about where the fuck that came from, Tom? I would love to. About that piece of high art that I created in my girlfriend's closet. <laughs> Gladly. <laughs> so there was this video that went viral of this little girl. I think she was like four years old singing this song, I Wonder What's Inside Your Butthole. And she was just like strumming on a little plastic guitar and singing this, I wonder what's inside your butthole. I wonder what's inside your butthole. And one of my favorite things to do as just like a game or an exercise is taking a little thing like that and fleshing it out into a full arrangement. And so I took the little semblance of a melody that she had and then I just like got my guitar and started putting a progression under it and turned it into a pop punk song. And then I have a couple drummers in New York, drummer buddies that are just monsters. And I was like, hey man, can you drum on this? And then all of a sudden we have this pop punk arrangement. It's just so great. <laughs> so fun. So stupid. But it's one of those things where it's, it's like normal people like myself look at people like you and we're like, if I had his talent, that is exactly what I would be doing with it in my free time because I'm a fucking child. Bingo. And you are obviously a child as well because you can produce this amazing high art. But then also because you're just a child inside as well, yeah. you do stuff like that. And that is, that's why I love just your whole approach and add Like anybody that is not subscribed to Tom's YouTube or following him on Instagram, you're missing out on a remarkable performer. I mean, just it, and and that is that is undeniable. You are oh. so supremely talented, and yet also do not take shit so seriously where you can't just just break it down and make people smile. Like singing, you know, you know, I'm a Billy Joel fan, so singing, yeah. we didn't start the fire, but only with. One lyric. Which lyric was it? <laughs> Trouble in the Suez. <laughs> Trouble in the Suez over and over. Trouble in the Suez. Trouble in the Suez. Trouble in the Suez. Trouble in the Suez. In the Suez. Trouble in the Suez. Or, or yeah. taking the sucking on a chili dog, which mm -hmm. I, I emailed you a couple of times, how angry I was with you because driving to work or just hanging out in the supermarket or whatever, I would just start singing, sucking on a chili dog, sucking on a chili dog. Sucking on a chili dog, sucking on a chili dog, sucking on a chili dog, sucking on a chili dog. Like these little things that just give and inspire such stupid joy. Yeah. But then realizing that it's coming from truly one of the most talented people that I've ever met. And I just wow. love that you can, that you can just, dial it down and dial it up at, at will and uh, do everything kind of, you know, tongue in cheek and, and have fun. It's wow. great. That it sincerely means a lot to me, man. Thank you. That's the only thing. It's just all I, I, it's all I got, you know, making, if I can make people smile and feel a little better using this oddly uh, specific skill that I have, that's, <laughs> <laughs> I'll do it until the grave. I'll, <laughs> I'll be making dumb songs about farts until I'm 75. That's so great. And, uh, and also, but also, 
I consider you one of the great philosophers of our time because you're able to look out <laughs> into the world to see things. Some may say it's observational comedy. I do think it is philosophizing at its highest level and asking questions like, you know, where are the baby pigeons? Pigeons. Everywhere I go, but when I see a pack of pigeons, what I think of the most is where the baby's at. Cause when I'm looking around, all I'm seeing are big pigeons eating shit off the ground. I'm asking you sincerely to. You knew where I was going with that, right? Because it, you know you have cracked the code for one of the most important. Where the fuck are the baby pigeons? You never see them. And it drove me nuts for all, all five years I lived in New York. Not one time did I see one in person. What do they do with them, right? That's a great question. These are the questions that you ask, that you pose in the song. Have yeah. you gotten any answers to it yet? Actually, the number of videos that I've gotten from people of actual <laughs> baby pigeons is astounding. <laughs> and now I've seen, I've seen many, many videos and pictures. Luckily, uh, a lot of fans of the song have sent me footage. And they exist. They do. But you, you never see them on the, on the ground. So that's interesting. So it's one of those things where you don't see it until somebody shows it to you and then you can't stop seeing it. It's not even that because now, now that people have shown it to me, I still don't see them in person and you largely <laughs> don't see them because I think scientifically they, they raise their young at higher elevations to keep them out of harm's way, but they also grow really rapidly pigeons. And so <laughs> they're like in the nest as babies until they're literally large enough to fly away and then they start kicking it on the ground and kicking it on the ground is the uh, proper scientific term for how pigeons evolve. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think we should bring that into the lexicon, like fucking with like rabbits, right? Yeah. So, like, yeah. You you know what? You want to fuck like rabbits and grow like pigeons. And, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good stuff. Bingo. Nice. I do want to play at least uh, brief clips of of a couple of things that we've worked on together because unfuckers will recognize them. So, one of the first big opus projects that we worked on together was in an episode that we did. It was our first episode outside of the States where we got out of our own domestic policy and kind of asked the question like, you know, where are the baby pigeons? We're like, what the fuck's going on in Canada? Mm -hmm. And how come we don't talk about it? I wanted to come up with something kind of next level because we'd been promising on fuckers for a while that we were really going to unfuck our neighbor up north because we figured that our neighbor up north is probably looking down at this shit show below in their basement and going, you know, what's going on down there, eh? So we had this great script and we worked really hard on it and we knew that we had the, uh, sort of the right treatments to it, but I felt like something was missing. And I was like, I wonder if I could go back to the well and ask Tom to, to help me with something. And well, let's just play a brief clip of it first and give everybody a taste of it for those that didn't hear our O Canada episode. Like some fries with gravy, please. Oh, yeah, you mean poutine. What? I'm in a foreign country. What does this person mean? All I want is disco fries and not this strange cuisine. Hey, uh, excuse me, where's the nearest Starbucks? Oh, there's a Tim Hortons on the corner, eh? And one across the street. Another down the road a bit, and one just after that. I've heard of this Tim Horton, but he's not someone I know. Horton has a who, but can he make Frappuccino? Are you British? Is it always this cold? Why are you sorry? Who's Tim Horton? Do you love or hate Trudeau? Oh, Canada, so 
So what? Well, I love so many things about this <laughs> particular song. Again, I, one of the things that I appreciate about working with you is I send you these kind of insane lyrics with a really rough outline of how it would be amazing for this thing to just be operatic and swelling and bigger than life. But it's the comedic touches and the comedic spoken word elements that you also kind of weave throughout it that made this thing totally, totally hum. And we got so many comments on it. Do you remember putting that together? Uh, I haven't thought about it in a long time. And I do remember it because I remember you asking specifically for that vibe and feeling intimidated by it and being like, this is going to be a challenge because I don't normally write orchestral choral stuff. And it was so fun to push my comfort zone a little bit. Uh, and I loved how it turned out. I mean, you, again, like you and your wife provided an amazing roadmap. It was your wife on the track, right? Am I making it? It was. Yeah. yeah. You provided an amazing roadmap. So you did, again, half the battle. So unfuckers, I, I have a secret weapon at home. Mrs. Max happens to be a, a brilliant musician, which is why I, I think half of the reason that I appreciate working with you so much is that I also live with somebody who can play a, a number of different instruments and is kind of a next level gifted musician, but who also doesn't understand how gifted she is. Like Bingo. you, she just sort of like, yeah, but it's what, you know, it's just fun. It's what I do, but let's, let's talk about this other thing. And I'm like, wait, no, I just, I just want to listen to you play all day. And everybody that knows her says the same thing. They're like, fuck, I wish I had that kind of talent. Wow. And what's funny about that is that, uh, so our whole relationship, everybody that we know looks at her like she's a freak of nature and says, God, I wish I had that talent. And then we send you this rough thing about Canada and I'm writing lyrics that make, just make me laugh, like about the poutine and all the kind of, you know, quirky Canadian things. Yeah. And she's laying down some like general ideas. We send it to you. And again, like 48 hours later, comes back this thing and she's looking at you saying, this guy's a fucking freak. <laughs> you just have a different level of talent. And, and unfuckers, <laughs> forgive me if this, if this just seems so indulgent to just sit here and compliment Tom so much, but it's a reflection of, of what we get back from unfuckers that really understand it. So half of it is like, people expecting now, whether it is the original Tenacious D type introduction you did for us or the what we internally call the bad rap intro, where I purposely wrote lyrics that were just very, very, imagine a basic white guy writing lyrics to a bad rap song yeah. and then gave it to you to perform tongue in cheek. U to the N to the FTR. I'm fucking the Republic beating people where they are. Right center, make you laugh, make you cry. Max brings the heat of a basic white guy. They have that context and, and we do these introductions, but then every once in a while you flex and you put something out there that really feels like a full fucking orchestra did it. And so the next clip I want to play, and as a matter of fact, Manny, I think this is worth playing the entire thing. So unfuckers have heard this, but in, we've only played it, I think, three or four times because it's one of the more recent pieces that we worked on together. And this is the Gilbert and Sullivan treatment, what we call, internally call our, our major general introduction to the show. So let's, let's take a, a quick listen to that first, and then we'll come back and talk a little bit about that. 
This is a major podcast and we call it UNFTR. I'm fucking the Republic is the name that is not safe for work. We hate Reagan, Milton Friedman, Rupert Murdoch, and Matt Gates. Talk socioeconomics, global markets, politics, and race. Max, the host, is basic and admits he likes Miami Vice. 99 produces, also she's a vegan and she's nice. Many Faces is the genius on the board behind the glass. Together they produce this unbelievable fucking podcast. Together they produce this unbelievable fucking And, uh, yeah, by the way, my name is Tom McGovern, and just know that I'm a hired gun. So if you're gonna hate somebody, please don't let me be the one. Now you have the details of the show and the entire cast. So listen to this unbelievable fucking podcast. So listen to this unbelievable, this unbelievable, so listen to this unbelievable So there you have it, unfuckers. <laughs> Woo! I am a major general, done for the unfucking audience. So... I okay. I can I can honestly say now, as indulgent as we've been up until this point, that I did not quite expect to get back what you sent us. Again, I thought a couple of basic tracks and you singing on top of it in a in a regular stripped down Gilbert and Sullivan type treatment of it. And this one came back with so many vocal layers. It sounds like there's a thousand of you. Holy shit. <laughs> just again, start to finish, just walk us through that process of getting this material and what you have to do to turn that into what we heard. Yeah, I'd love to. First of all, approaching anything like this, I always, I call it the, uh, I go full Phil Collins in the sense that I always see this meme that's like, Phil Collins did not have to go as hard on the Tarzan soundtrack as he went and he did. <laughs> He went full throttle like it was a it was a, a a Disney movie about a man that lives in the jungle and he just delivered ripper after ripper. And so in any project that I ever work on, I try to go full Phil Collins. And in my mind, if you why do something if you're not going to go 1000% as hard as you can, don't do it in my opinion, especially with fun stuff like this. And so I also do have to admit to you, when you sent me this parody, another boundary pushing oh shit moment because I honestly didn't really know the song. I didn't know Modern Major General. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so there are like six or seven different versions of this song that I found on YouTube because the musical has been done for so long. And so at first I just had to like digest the cadence of the part that you wanted me to parody. And again, you provided great lyrics. And then in approaching a song like that, a big orchestral musical theater song, I'm sitting at my desk. I build a template that basically has all of the choral parts mapped out. So for example, if I'm emulating a choir, I need soprano, alto, baritone, bass, and then I do two layers of each voice and I spread them far left, far right to make it sound like you're surrounded by a choir, basically. Okay. And then I'll just go one part at a time. I will map out the harmonies one line at a time on my piano, and then I'll just record from the top down and I'll start with the soprano. I'll go way up high sing the soprano part through, then I'll layer it in with the alto, double it, baritone, double it, until the whole thing is done. So what's, so what's really interesting, just before you get off the vocals for one second, go to the music part of it, what's interesting about that is I had a very, very difficult time writing the lyrics to that because of the meter of the song. Mm -hmm. and the cadence of the, the delivery, as you said, I, I heard it a couple of different ways. And so what I would do is write down how many syllables I needed to get out in a, in a particular line. 
So in my head, I was actually doing the 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 part where you say, so listen to this unbelievable fucking podcast, right? Mm-hmm. I had it in a different cadence in my head. Mm. And I didn't know if it worked because then I tried actually like a maniac singing it back myself over YouTube clips of Major General. And it didn't quite, it would jive one time and then it wouldn't jive another time. And so at the end of it, I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to make this Tom's problem and see if he can shoehorn this in somehow because I'm really lost right now. It is not as easy to do that as it might seem. And I'm not saying that that it's anybody thinks it's easy, but it might, it seems easy to say, this is the rhythm and the meter of a song. I'm going to write parody lyrics to it. But the point here is I didn't even do it the right way and I gave it to you and what you turned back around was it was better than what I was even hearing in my head at its <laughs> best. Cool. Seriously. Cool. So that's the type of like lyrical interpretation that you brought to the table. And then you switched it up at the end because you had to bring it back a couple of times for emphasis to to bring it to its this grand sweeping conclusion. So like you were manipulating every single inch of that piece and then had to fucking put it to the music that makes it seem like you're sitting in a room with a full orchestra. So you've, okay, so you've layered your vocals, you put your tracks down, you're bouncing in between ears and making it sound like there's a whole bunch of you. Do you then try to set the music to it? Had you put a pad of music down for like how, which order did you do this in? Yeah. So I think for this one and for most parodies, I'll generally rip a an instrumental version from YouTube or a royalty-free version of the of the instrumental or karaoke track from YouTube to write over, record over, and then I will add my own instrumentation to beef up the actual track to make it sound better. Sometimes the the royalty-free stuff from YouTube sounds good and I can just print it that way. And especially in the interest of time, I've done that a handful of times and it just works. It's just easier. Uh, but sometimes, especially with the older sounding stuff, you need to like you need to embellish. But I'll always start with the musical arrangement as a roadmap, add the lyrics on, and then beef it up after that. Okay, so then you have Manny. If you can play the Peter Twiu clip, it's the worst acronym ever made up, and we realize now it was a stupid thing to do. It stands for pistol in the ocean to warm it up. It's time for Peter Twiu. Okay, so that was one of the. This was actually the first interstitial clip that you and I worked on where we had this concept of pissing in the ocean to warm it up, to signify a congressional bill or a measure or like a, a movement that somebody was start trying to, to get off the ground that really just didn't land. So it was pissing in the ocean to warm it up, Pito Tuio, and I was struggling with it enough where I was like, I just, I should parody myself right now. This is the worst acronym ever. And it was sort of like our stop trying to make fetch happen moment. So I, I wrote the lyrics, I sent it off to you, and that one had zero guidance. This was just me expressing my frustration, but needing to sort of like stamp and mark a moment in the episodes where we were trying to get this thing across. It was the first time I think that I sent something with zero musical inspiration. I'm I'm throwing every challenge at the book at you. In my mind, I'm throwing every challenge at the book and waiting for you to be like, okay, like little help here, buddy. And instead, 24 hours fucking later, I get this Pito Tuio theme that is just remarkable. So (laughs) 
when you don't get a tenacious D prompt or a Gilbert and Sullivan prompt and, and you just get lyrics and somebody's like, hey, man, make this happen. What's that process like? That process, especially if I get lyrics as, as, a, as a starting point, I'll just, I'll literally read the lyrics down and then sometimes a melody pops into my head just simply reading the lyrics because lyrics on paper, I think, have a natural rhythm to them. And so as I'm reading something through, sometimes I'll like start reading it and I'll hear, I'll hear a vibe, for lack of a better word, in my head. And then once I kind of get an impression from the lyrics and the natural cadence of the words, then I'll just sit at the piano and I'll just try to like lay some chords underneath of it. And this one was like a more of like a that's right. And so it just kind of felt like this bouncy and especially like the energy of what you're trying to say felt kind of silly and up and jingly. <laughs> and so I kind of just, just start from there. I let the lyrics inform the musical vibe. I love it. So, Unfuckers, we have actually done 11 projects together with Tom. Only 10 have seen the light of day because <laughs> our 11th we're saving for right after our vacation when we launch a new segment that we have been promising for quite some time but it's I think you're you're going to love it and I don't want to play it right now but suffice to say that once again when you hear it I gave Tom very little all I told Tom was 80s beer commercial <laughs> and he ripped off this theme that you're going to have to wait till September to hear but it is remarkable but the other 10 just to, to show how much a part of the, the show that Tom has become, and, and this will probably even remind you, Tom, of, of the work that we've done because it's, it's been over a year and a half period and it's, it's kind of been a lot, but yeah. we've got the Tenacious D theme, O Canada and Peter Tuio, which we just talked about. We also have post-show musings, which helps us round out the end of each show. It's the end of the episode where we used to do show notes. Now we just talk through a few things. Reflect on what was said or what we should have done instead. Oh, post-show musings. Our quickie theme, which is every time we do a quickie, we play that up top. When the world is a mean and nasty little place, finding the truth can be a little don't go punch yourself in the face just listen to it on fucking quickie topical cream which is widely regarded by our audience as the most disgusting song and theme that we have <laughs> topical cream a pod listener's dream unfucking the news and current events topical cream yeah you know what i mean a Our, what we call bad rap introduction, then a short stinger that has become kind of important for us because it's an audio cue that you can kind of set your watch by. And that is the, just the brief UNFTR jingle that we have. Manny, can you just play that quickly? UNFTR. Then of course we have our major general theme and we have 99's favorite, which is independent platform man. Yeah. So before we go on, I just want to, again, play that one for the unfuckers to remind them, because this one only appeared actually twice, once in the quickie that was Independent Platform Man, and then 
we played it later when we were referencing that when we were talking about one of the subjects of the show. But anyway, go ahead, Manny, and play that one again. He's digging on the mainstream and corporate big guys. With shows on YouTube, Apple, Netflix, and Spotify. He got no time to pay attention to the lame-ass press. He got a really great sleep on his Casper mattress. He's pissing everything from vaccines to IRM. He's subscribe and rate independent platform, man. So that's 10 full unbelievable pieces that have go on such a wide spectrum from that UNFTR stinger and jingle all the way to through these grand sweeping orchestral productions like the O Canada theme and the major general theme. Is there anything that you can't do? Is there a, <laughs> I'm serious now. Is there a genre? Because this will be the next one I try to assign. Yeah. Is there a genre where you're like, Anything but that. That's just where I draw the line, and I, I, I don't think I could pull it off. Yeah. First of all, I would pay to have one of these calls once a month because my inner critic is a bitch, and uh, he often <laughs> tries to knock my self-confidence down. This feels great, so thank you for the, <laughs> the ego boost. But in terms of genre, yes. I would say R&B, soul, kind of like really groovy, vocal forward riffy stuff. I just simply physically can't do it. It's one genre that my voice, I don't think is malleable enough mm. to pull off. And also musically, I don't think I have the knowledge to like write those cool neo soul progressions and do them justice. So that is my fear territory, basically. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So just uh, before we wrap up, just a again, a couple to understand the the puzzle that is Tom McGovern. Couple questions to to set us right. Do you consider yourself an actor first or a musician first? I think for a long time I wanted to consider myself an actor first, but if we're looking at the work that I've done in my life, definitely a musician first. Okay, so that's the work, but you inside, even in your in your musicianship, you seem because you cover so many genres. A lot of it to me seems to be performance and acting. So let me ask the question a different way and then come back to whether or not you think you're an actor or a musician. When you're performing music, what is your natural state? What music do you like and appreciate playing more than anything else? Because it's a reflection of kind of the musician that you are. I mean, the most fun for me will always be kind of pop punk rock music, just because those are my roots. That's where I grew up. Can you up. give us some artists? The ones yeah. that really speak to you? Yeah, I mean, I really sincerely love like uh, Blink-182, Jimmy Eat World, uh, to this day, Fall Out Boy, Taking Back Sunday, My Chemical Romance, kind of like that emo rock stuff I just really love. I'm also a sucker for really hard metal stuff. I don't necessarily play it like Slipknot or like uh, A Day to Remember or Under Oath, but those are bands that are like, if I'm in the car and I'm two cold brews in that day and I need to drive to something, I'm putting on... Bring Me the Horizon or The Devil Wears Prada, these like really heavy metal bands. But I was raised on Billy Joel. And I think like the most fun to play is either going to be the pop punk Blink-182 vibe or classic Billy Joel, Ben Folds, piano driven rock. So let's put it out there to the kids listening that it is not okay to go two beers deep and then get behind the wheel of your car <laughs> and rage out to Blink-182. No, no okay. beers. Cold brews. No beers. 
Oh, cold brews. This, this is coffee you're talking oh, about. Oh, coffee. Yeah. No, no. Do not Just drink beers checking. and drive. No, no, no. <laughs> Did you? That, that would have been insane if I was like, yeah, if I'm a couple cores lights deep, I just like to hit the freeway and rip some, <laughs> or rip some Megadeth. No, do not drink beer and drive. Come on. Don't do that. Okay. Very good. Very good. Well, you know, we're big coffee fans on this show, so yes. uh, we're, we're all good there. Uh, so now let me come back to the actor question, because the first thing that sort of unlocked this artistic side of you, at least be saying like, this is who I am and this is how I want to present to the world is as an actor. And you have done a lot of obviously great work on YouTube and we can see the live performances. You've also been, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you were on American Idol auditioning. So you've been in front of the, so yes, you were auditioning as a musician, but it does take some acting chops and 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 a presence. And I've seen some shorts that you've done on YouTube. Are you as comfortable in your skin as an actor as you are a musician? Or are you more comfortable with an instrument around you as kind of like a foil? Definitely the latter. But ironically, what I want to do with my career is act and perform right uh, you know, my own episodic comedy series. I really want to work as an actor professionally, but I feel so much safer with an instrument around, which is why I've gravitated towards musical comedy for two main reasons. One, because I have for years performed with a piano, with a guitar, whatever. I just feel more at home. I feel f more free with an instrument there, but also because I, I feel like in musical comedy, there's a lower bar in terms of musicality, what's considered good. And I think there's so much lazy musical comedy out there. And it is my own personal mission in my life and career to show people that musical comedy can be good music played by real musicians. So yeah, I mean, I definitely want to be considered an actor. I think I do identify as an actor, but I feel much safer with the musical elements around. So who inspires you today? Which, which artists performing today are, do you look at and you're like, Fuck yeah, I love this. Bo Burnham, hundred percent. It's uh, Bo it's, Burnham. It's Bo Burnham, and he has been for a long time. But with his latest special, Inside, I think anyone that is a fan of musical comedy, fan of comedy, can agree that's an achievement on so many levels. So inspiring, largely that's the one that he did during quarantine. Yes, at, that was. I yeah. I mean, what's interesting about that special is, yes, I laughed a lot. There was some funny, funny shit in there. There was some really painful, poignant, powerful stuff in there as well. I honestly felt like I went on the journey with him through the whole thing. And he revealed a darkness about producing comedy and a darkness, I think, that we were all feeling in a way that was I, I really didn't expect because I'd seen a couple of the other things. Actually, 99, the co-host of the show, is a huge Bo Burnham fan. Mm -hmm. And 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 has loved him for many it, it's why i knew about him is cuz she well it's why i know about anything i don't know anything until 99 tells me <laughs> that it's okay to look into it unless it's from history so that special to me was hard to watch because it was so good and so raw but what i couldn't get over was the cre the creativity of the filming was remarkable. I mean, he it's like he was a director, a writer, an actor, a musician, a producer, and it was all very raw, authentic, and 
I think he really actually did it all on his own. Am I am I right? You're correct. That is why I consider that special to be my favorite of the past decade. And it's yeah. as a as an independent creator, he basically pushed the boundaries for all of us. He's like he he said, I'm gonna spend eight, 10, 12 hours a day making this as good as it can possibly be. And if you go back and watch that special, there's this song, uh, White Woman's Instagram. It's yes. shot and composed in a way that is literally beautiful. I mean, it's like what he pulled off alone, I just think is an achievement unlike we've seen in that genre maybe ever. And that's exactly like you said, you know, that's, there's those reasons that I'm so inspired by him. And I will say one other guy, if you're listening and you're a fan of musical comedy, there's an Australian musical comic named Tom Cardy, C-A-R-D-Y. Check him out on TikTok. He blew up this past year. He's making some of the most innovative, creative, tangential, musically tight musical comedy that, that is out right now. He's a big inspiration too. So Tom Cardy. Well, that's awesome. What's next for you, my friend? I am playing with this new musical comedy trio called Wolves of Glendale. I live in Glendale, California, as do my bandmates. We're in the studio actually today. As soon as we hang up, I'm going to the studio to finish the last two songs on our EP. Uh, we have a five song EP called Songs in the Key of Wolf, releasing <laughs> at the end of August. Damn it, I got to take that and, off. Uh, that was, that's what I was going to do. Uh, Shit. <laughs> sorry. Sorry about that. Well, that's exciting. Yeah. This is, it's been most of my energy has gone towards this project. Um, I'm really excited. We just played the Netflix festival in May out here in LA. We played a short one week run in New York a couple weeks ago. We're back in New York and Philadelphia at the end of September. We're playing City Winery Philly on August 27th. And then we're playing Caroline's on Broadway in New York City on August 31st. And I just am having a blast writing and playing with these guys. Okay. Well, we can't uh, reveal our identities when we get there, but 99 and I will have to go to the Caroline show. Oh, that's wow. a must. If you're coming back to the East Coast, that's a must. I mean, that would be a dream come true. That's exactly. Oh, please. Yeah. Please. That we're would. hardly a dream. We're, we're nobody's dream come true, I but we be, are huge super fans. If I see you guys in the audience, I will be fangirling towards you. And that's a fact. And that is, I'm uh, not kidding. I have to close this out with, uh, again, just s saying that as a podcast, we do our level best to introduce some really heavy and important themes to our audience. We're a progressive show that tries to, yes, unfuck America t by telling the story of how we got here, suggesting certain things that can help us get out of the mess that we've created, kind of all in service of the fact that we are cooking the planet. Things are, are, are going horribly wrong for so many people and impoverished people in parts of this country and as a result of our policies in other countries, particularly in the global South. We have a huge responsibility to do better. And as you say before, if you're going to do something and you're going to do something meaningful and special, don't half-ass it. And so in everything that we do, we really try our best to make it as amazing as possible. So what 99 brings to the table with the production value, with all of the assets and our digital assets, making everything as accessible for, for everyone in our audience as possible, the website, the show notes, the links, the book resources, our bookshop, 
we try to put as much out there as we possibly can with the sound design that Manny Faces brings to the table. He is simply the best engineer working in the business, and we're incredibly lucky to have him. But it's important to smile. It's important to laugh. It's important to not take yourself too seriously, even when you're doing serious work. Because if we become too self-important in the process, I think we we risk becoming a little too self-righteous and a little too heavy-handed in our approach. And I've worked on, I'm older than you, so I've worked sadly many more years and have failed thousands of times uh, than you will ever fail in your career. So I have this appreciation of what it's like when you assemble the perfect team for what you're working on. So it could be on a project, it could be in your career, it could be the band that you're currently making this EP with. It, there's a time and a place when you bring all of these special elements together in this intellectual alchemy that produces something really great. Right now, we're on a good run on this show, and we've gained an audience that we never thought possible. When you and I first spoke, putting that introduction together, I was still in the fuck it, let's see what happens, take a flyer time. And now we have a very critical audience. We're passing some milestones we didn't think possible. And we have a community of unfuckers that are genuinely trying to make the world a better place. But part of that alchemy that is so vital is that sense of parody and that we're still smiling on the inside when we're agitated and when we're upset and that we are doing this with love. I don't think Tom McGovern, Tom fucking McGovern, <laughs> that we reach this level, that we get to where we are and convey that sense of purpose, but with love and a smile, if we don't find you. The, that was the perfect moment oh. when I submitted that form on your website and you said, sure, man, sounds fun. And all I sent you were lyrics and think tenacious D and you turned it around and you turned our lives around as a result of it. And I know that because the unfuckers appreciate it. I know that because I listened back and I'm like, I cannot believe that, that this guy is working with us, that we know this fucking guy and that, and that he does what he does for us. So on behalf of the unfucking community, on behalf of 99 and Manny Faces and myself, I just want to say thank you for being so supremely fucking talented, awesome at your job and at your gig. And I hope you will indulge us for years to come as we grow this thing and you'll continue to uh, contribute to wow. us. Man, I mean, that was so kind. I'm, I'm, I've been smiling. You guys can't see, but I'm smiling like an idiot over here. That means so much to me to be able to play a small role in what is obviously a very well-oiled machine and a kick-ass community. Sincerely, uh, I, I feel full right now. So thank you. I feel so lucky. Congratulations to you and to 99 and to Manny. I mean, and to the unfuckers, this is such a fun, cool thing to be a part of. I literally have a bunch of stickers sitting right here. One of them is on, on my water bottle. Oh, there we go. Uh, I feel so lucky to be a part of it. And unfuckers, shoot me a, a message on Instagram. Say hi. I would love to, to connect with you guys. And, and thank you for saying those things, Max. Uh, it means the world to me. And um yeah, here's well, let's two. make sure we put all of your links uh, in show notes, right? So they, we want them to follow you in all of the places. So on Instagram is what? Instagram is at Tom McGovern 27. TikTok is also at Tom McGovern 27. Twitter is the same. YouTube is just Tom McGovern. Okay. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's it. All right. Unfuckers, when you get there, check in, make sure that uh, you let Tom know that you're there. 
uh, because of the show and that you are a supporter and a fan and a friend and convince everybody that you know to follow him as well, right? Un- unless, unless of course, they, like we, recognize that, you know, you're from New Jersey. Yeah. I can't believe that's how this interview started and that we made it all of this way. We, a, I, good, good for us. I was grateful that it wasn't brought up again until this point. And now that it has, I'm afraid that uh, people will not only reach out, but they'll reach out with words of uh, hatred, aggression, yes, vitriol. Yes, it, you yeah. will get a vituperative response, but it is, it's warranted. But unfuckers, I'll leave you with this. He did move. Right. He tried his hand at other things. He went to New York. He went to Florida. And now he's on the, the on the left coast. Like yeah. you got to give him credit for getting out. Right. I got, I got as far away as I could within the continental U.S. Let's say that. Appreciate you for that. Yeah. Tom McGovern, thank you so much for your artistry, for being just such a genuinely cool dude. And I uh, look forward to working with you for many years to come. Let's let's do 100 more of these little songs. How about that? All right. Unfuckers, we'll see you for the next show. Thanks for hanging with us today. Sucking on. Chili dogs, sucking on a dog, sucking on a chili dog, sucking on chili, sucking on a dog, sucking on a chili dog, sucking on chili dogs. A little ditty about Jack and Diane, two American kids sucking on a chili dog. Nice.